tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Recorded live. Hi everyone, it's Janet here with, with the Brain Science Call for GBU um, for this month's uh, topic, year of manifesting topic, which is all about saying yes to life. And um, if you can hear the laughter in my voice, I'm laughing because I, everybody on the call has waited so patiently because I was just had trouble getting in and it's now 18 minutes past the top of the hour. So I've had an opportunity to practice what I preach um, mm. and get okay with that and say yes to it. So. Uh, there's heaps of pe- people on the call. Uh, Jeanette, hello, and Nancy, hello. Please hello. say hello. Hello, Jeanette's here. Hey. Hello. And, hello. Uh, and we've got someone from Central Minnesota and someone from Lila. Hawaii. Hello, who's that? Oh, um, actually, I'm not from Hawaii. Um, I used to live there. I want to live there again, but I'm in the San Francisco <laughs> Bay Area. It's Carla. My phone number is in central Minnesota, but I, in fact, am in coastal Maine. <laughs> I, love, I love how talk she does that. It has us traveling all over the world and we don't even know it. I'm going to close down my dashboard and my chat because otherwise we'll get distracted. Okay, so what I wanted to talk about today is how how we can play with a little brain science to help us get even better at saying yes to all the aspects of life because it's really easy to say yes to the good time stuff. And most of us are pretty good, I think. You know, if, we're, if we've been hanging around GVU and Jeanette long, long enough, we've probably got some pretty good skills at letting go of resistance and saying yes to things. But I, I think that, uh, well, for me certainly, um, getting a handle on some of the brain science has helped me get even better at that. And anytime there's an opportunity to upskill or, you know, expand my own abilities and stretch that muscle, I, I'm going to jump and grab it with both hands. So I wanted to share some stuff with you today. Um, and I'm hoping to keep the, short, the call short, but we'll see what happens because it, it can get really meaty, this stuff. It's pretty juicy. Um, so I wanted to start out by just talking a little bit about... Um, some brain systems, and I have talked about these before on another call in relation to self-love, how they how they play in our relationship with ourselves. But I think it's worth revisiting them when we look at how they play with our relationship to everything, because that's what resistance is. It's it it, it when it shows up, it usually shows up in terms of our relationship with some part of our reality that we that we have a judgment about. So whether it's a person, a situation, whether it's our body, our career, our money, whatever it is, it's it's between us and that thing. There's something in that relationship that's making us feel that resistance and feel that sense of, I don't really want to go there. Um, and instead of saying, you know, bring it on, singing and dancing, what Seth Godin said about going singing and dancing towards it. So if I just do a quick recap of those brain systems, that might, that gives us a kind of platform for the discussion. Uh, so we start with two of the, the two very primitive brain systems that we share with every other every other creature on the planet that has a brain, 
as the first one, and it, that's our familiar friend, the fight or flight response. It's actually fight, flight, or freeze. Um, and probably most of us have it, have experienced it as freeze, which is where the situation seems so uh, just awful that we just get immobilised and we can't move forward. We 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 just can't wrap our heads around it. Um, and it's this basic basic threat protection system, and it exists specifically in relation to our physical body to keep it alive on the planet. So. This is why, you know, when we bring in thoughts about, you know, I'm an eternal being and, uh, uh, you know, I, so there's no death, etc., etc., it kind of doesn't, it doesn't really work for the fight or flight response because its only job is to keep us safe from physical threats to our physical, this lifetime existence. And we need to have, you know, the reason we keep this system, this very primitive system, is because we need it. Because from time to time, less so in our modern world, but it still happens, there are times where we encounter a potentially lethal in that moment threat. And that might be, you know, the classic example is things that might happen in traffic or in fact, it's about the only one. And it probably stops us going down the dark alley, you know, midnight after a movie, especially if we've just seen Batman. Um, because, you know, that reminds us of that story. Uh, so it kicks into action instantly when we're in immediate lethal danger and that's its only job. You need the system to stay in order to stay alive and its primary drive is safety. That's all it does. It's just there to, 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 it's just driven by the desire for safety. The second primitive system is, this, is the system of desire. And this is where we link up. Um, this is where survival is linked to pleasure. This is why food and sex both feel good because it, it's a drive that helps us to stay alive and to perpetuate the species. And again, we share that with most creatures that have a brain. Um, and uh, again, when we, when we feel our resources are threatened, uh, this system can kick into action uh, and make us feel uneasy and make us struggle a bit. Uh, its primary drive is satisfaction or resources. And this is the system that can get kicked into gear when we feel like something we might miss out on something or something is lacking. Uh, so those two systems, they work really, really well for what they're designed for. But in a modern setting, many of us, are, when we have resistance, it's often because one of those two systems has been triggered in some way. So when there's a sense of resistance to something, the first thing that you, if you want to play with the brain science, one of the first things you can ask yourself is, is there something about this situation, this person, this, this circumstance, the feeling with my body that is triggering a feeling of that I'm not safe or that I don't have enough? because either of those two things can trigger these primitive systems. And those primitive systems get triggered, but we can't meet their need. So when the safety system gets triggered, if we don't have the opportunity to run away and then therefore be safe, or to fight and therefore be safe, that need goes unmet and that system just keeps on activating. This is if we're not aware of it, or if we're sort of doing a default, you know, default thinking, which most of us don't do. But that's why it can it can keep on, you know, for people who have chronic stress, it's like that need is being triggered all the time by a sense of not being safe. And same with the desire, you know, the satisfaction need, this constant sense of it's, I'm not enough, it's not enough. If that's constantly triggered and, and there's no way to meet it by, you know, actively addressing it, it'll continue to, to play out. So those two primitive systems, like I said, they have their place, but 
they don't necessarily they're not necessarily our best friend when it comes to thinking about things like you know um i don't know uh does this mortgage payment really need to be paid today or can i do it tomorrow kind of thing the other two systems that we have much more modern one is the mammalian caregiving system and this is the system we share with all mammal, mammals and it's the desire to nurture because without this drive but mammalian babies just wouldn't survive we would we mammals would have died out years and years and years and you know millennia ago um, and the system only came into being when mammals emerged on the planet because uh, you know most of the reptilian and amphibian uh, cousins they don't need this system because they're young and born self-sufficient. They they straight you know they come straight out of the egg and get on with life. But mammal babies need to be suckled, and in many cases this is a really big irritant for the parent. But it's the nurturing drive that keeps them doing it. Um, so you look at penguins, uh, not penguins. Um, you know birds do this too. Birds are, have this nurturing system too, but in a different way. But if you look at human babies, that's a classic example. Um, human babies are very helpless for a very 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 long time and they require an inordinate amount of time and energy to raise to adulthood um, so this primary drive of nurturing this is our first kind of clue to how we can begin to say yes to more of life is by turning that nurturing system inwards on ourselves so that we can begin to ask ourselves what's going to feel better in this situation does it feel better? Is it more soothing for me to focus on the thing, the reason I'm resistant, or is it more soothing for me to find a way to say yes? Because the answer is always it's going to be more soothing to find a way to say yes. It might require a tweak, you know, in the story, and I'll get to that in a second. And the fourth system that I want to talk about, this is, seems to be unique to humans and some primates, and it's a system called the civilization system. I, I'm not a fan of that big word, of that word, but that's what they call it in the in the science it's um and it this is the the capacity for empathy um this is where our mirror neurons kick in and it's what allowed us as a species to be able to learn things very fast because we could learn by observation uh some there are some other animals that do this but um it, it's much much more prevalent in humans uh and the primary drive here is connection uh so that was a very quick wrap-up of those four systems and if you're interested in the self-love thing and you haven't heard that part that you know that um that call it's in the archives somewhere you'll find it there um but the big question here is so what so what about why are these four systems why do i think they're important i think it's because every relationship we have with so-called reality is conveyed to us by our brain as a narrative or a story our brains give it meaning and our true power to say yes comes when we look at that meaning that story and decide what decide what to do with it we can if it's a if it's a good feeling circumstance obviously we're not going to be questioning it we're just going to be going oh i like this but if we have a circumstance that doesn't feel so great we can look at the story the meaning that we've got behind it and see which of the systems is being activated and i can pretty much guarantee you that at some point if if something feels resistance has resistance in it it's triggering either the sense of not enough it might be for example if we've got irritating emails in our inbox and that's all we can think about and we can't get our heads out of that then there's something being triggered like I haven't got enough time and energy what's wrong with these people there's a drain on my resource 
they're sucking the life out of me, <laughs> whatever it might be. There's mm-hmm. some sense there of I don't want to play there because it's not it's not nurturing and it's not connected. I don't feel connected <clears throat> and I don't feel nurtured. But I do feel, I don't know, I do feel my resources are threatened in some way. Um, so we get to play with that story. Now, I said at the beginning of the call, this is something that I think is a, like a, you wouldn't want to be doing this all the time, 24-7 with every single story. It's too complicated. It takes too long. But this is what we. This is one of the things we can do when we have a circumstance that is hard to say yes to because it just seems like it's in some way a bad thing, air quotes, bad thing. Um, and we get to, to go into that story and we ask ourselves, does this activate fright and lack or does it activate nurturing and connection? Or in other words, does this, does this activate fear or love? So we're coming back to the basics again, but what I'm doing is kind of unpacking the, the science behind why fear versus love is a really powerful stance for us to take and a question for us to ask. Um, is that making sense? Mm-hmm. Cool, cool. So I, I wanted to start out with that because I think sometimes, <laughs> I think sometimes, I know I do this and I don't think I'm the only person who does this Inside we're going, yes, I'm going to say yes to everything in life. And there's this other little voice that says, yeah, but there's always going to be that one thing. You can't possibly, you can't possibly agree with that. <laughs> it's like, well, I get to choose. You know, I, I own my brain. I'm the user of my brain. I get to choose what story I want it to tell. If I don't like the story, it's telling me about a circumstance. Because it's never the circumstance. It's always the story of the thoughts that we have about the circumstance. That's, that's what makes us feel bad. We turn those thoughts around and we we can let go of the resistance. Um, so um, we, you know we so we know like most of us know how to pivot, how to switch from resistance to allowing. Um, uh, and, and so we we really only need to use this for the seemingly difficult places we might get tangled up. The other thing that I wanted to share is, and I really love this because I've been playing this a lot lately. Um, I've been tr- playing with the process to retrain my brain so that when a circumstance occurs of any kind, two things happen. First of all, it's, it, it more easily finds inner peace as a default setting. So I'm, I'm kind of I'm resetting the default platform of my brain so that it's less likely to go into fight or flight or the fear of missing out kind of approach uh, and more likely to, to come from nurturing and connection. So I'm doing that and I'm also, the, the, what I've been work playing with is also retraining my brain to be better at switching out of resistance more quickly when it comes up. So I've got this kind of go-to tool that I'm using. So I can have, certainly have that conversation with myself, questioning the story. Um, what does it mean? Does it mean I'm out of control? Resistance often comes up when we feel powerless. So it's again about, well, that, that comes from that sense of, you know, uh, unsafe and lacking. Uh, so, but instead of having that conversation, what I've been playing with this is a kind of turbocharged allowing. And I really like the idea of this, that there's this really straightforward process that uh, it's not something I roll out only when I'm feeling resistance. I, I do this every morning. This is a practice I'm doing every morning and, I'm, I, and I do it throughout the day as well. Um, 
and it's called, I call it dynamic inner peace. This is um, a process I first encountered in the work of Don Gowie, who wrote Mystic Cool. And um, I've, I've sort of adapted it a bit because his process takes a bit longer. And, you know, I, I, I use it first thing in the morning before I get out of bed. And frankly, my body's probably trying to get me out of bed before I really want, <laughs> before I finish this process, unless I do it fast. So I decide to make a shorter one. And the idea with dynamic inner peace is it's not merely peace as the absence of turmoil. It's an active practice and an active process to have peace as a default perspective. Now, people who meditate will already have much of this in place, but I know, I know how sneaky brains can be. So I think it's good to have multiple ways to retrain them and to get them to this more peaceful in default setting. So, um, so I wanted to bring this to the call and share it because I think if we're in that circumstance of going, how do I say yes to this? Doing this process first opens the way for us to then be able to play with the story. So when I was talking before about changing the meaning, changing the story, a good example of that was Mike Dooley's story about how he opened his mailbox and there was this bill for an enormous amount of money that he didn't have. And so he chose to step into the thought, it's lucky I'm rich. Now, if we're caught up deep and deeply entrenched in resistance, getting to that story can feel a little tricky. But if we do this process first, it kind of gets easier. Um, and I wanted to share it with you guys now and do it now. In fact, it's probably a good idea for me to do it because you can hear I'm still talking at a million miles now and not very, not really flying a lot of peace. <laughs> um, so uh, when, because I do this first thing in the morning, the intention I usually it has an intention built into it. And the intention I, usually, I normally use is I intend to have a rewarding and productive and fun day today um, because for me that's a really active way of resetting my intention and reminding myself of the kind of day I want. But I'm conscious that you guys are um, going into the evening so I'm going to change the wording slightly but I would invite you all, uh, unless you're driving while you're listening to this, I would invite you all to to join with me and do it because it's fast, it's easy and it feels really, really nice. The other thing that this does is it involves some slow breathing and one of the reasons that slow breathing is really helpful in any circumstance is that uh, it sends the brain a signal, a very clear signal that all is well, it satisfies the drive for safety and satisfaction and it also activates the drives for nurturing and even connection when you think about the fact that you know breath and spirit are so closely uh, associated so we'll do it together if you guys are ready uh, any questions before we dive in not for me no cool bananas all right so i'd invite you to close your eyes and take a long slow cleansing belly breath Become aware of your heart. You can place a hand on it if that helps, but it's not necessary. Breathe in and feel your heart soften and open. And let it out on a sigh. <sighs> Breathe in again and feel the oxygen flood your brain with safety and satisfaction. Let it out on a sigh. Let 
Now step into a strong awareness that you are the user of your brain and that you get to choose your mindset for the next little while. And say to yourself, I intend to flow in a peace for the next few hours of my day. And that's it. You can open your eyes again. It's so simple. And because it involves both heart and brain consciously, it helps with the coherence of getting them both into line. And I think, I think many of us are really pretty good at getting our hearts on board with stuff. We work with our heart chakras or we work with our hearts. But I think sometimes, well, I know for me, sometimes my poor old brain gets left behind and it takes a while for it to catch up. So this is a nice way to kind of bring the, bring the two into the party together. Um, so any thoughts, any, any comments people want to make or feedback? It's fabulous to me, simple. I think it's easy to underestimate because it's so simple, but I could feel the power of it. Yeah, um, and it's one of those things that if you're having fun with it, like if, when I do it in the morning, if I'm not feeling any urgency about getting out of bed, I'll actually use a few breaths for the heart and a few for the brain rather than just one. But just, just doing it that with that shortest an amount of time, feeling that difference is, is quite remarkable. There's a variation you can do where you simply breathe in dynamic inner peace um, for about 30 seconds or three deep breaths. Um, but what, what, I, what I'm loving about playing with this is finding ways to actually build it even stronger. Um, one of the ones I love, and I, I again, Don Gowie suggested this. This is actually a technique that's apparently used in therapy for people who are battling really strong type A personality-related stress um, uh, illness. Uh, and once they once they've learnt this, uh, you know, and uh, and inner peace uh, exercise. This isn't the only one, but it's the one I like. Um, you actually find circumstances that would normally irritate you, and you go and uh, engage with them. Uh, for example, you find you go to the grocery store. Next time you're at the grocery store, you find the longest checkout queue and go and stand there, and then practice this dynamic inner peace while you're in the longest queue. Um, because you're training your brain that it can be in situations that you previously found irritating or upsetting and it can still be okay. So what you want to do, if you want to retrain your brain to be really good at inner peace and allowing, because they're very similar, then giving it opportunities to practice that is incredibly powerful because what you're doing is you're teaching your brain that modern living very rarely requires the fight or flight response very rarely requires, you know, you're, it's extremely hard in the West to, to genuinely um, die from lack of resources. Most of us, it might happen to. I can't imagine that there's anybody listening to this call to whom that's ever going to happen. And yet the system in our brain will tell us that something is potentially lethal when, you know, somebody, I don't know, doesn't invite us to the party. Because our ancestors getting kicked out of the tribe that was potentially lethal. In fact, it probably was lethal, but not for us. But we, So if we can retrain our brains and so that every time an opportunity comes up where something is going a bit squirrely, like, like this call starting late, being able to hook into that inner peace dynamic is going to be really powerful. Um, the, another, uh, uh, and, and, the, and when the circumstances really, really feels catastrophic you know like Mike Dooley's story with getting this bill that he had no way of paying when he first got it 
doing this exercise and then stepping into a different story can be a, a more empowered way of doing it. So it's an op you know, it's an option. It's a, it's another skill to add to the toolbox. Um, and there's another trick that I want to teach you guys to do with, because I know this has come up in the conversations around allowing this idea of the dis distinction between or how we discern between fear and inner guidance when we've got that sense of going, I don't want to go there, I don't want to do that. Um, we can use this exercise so we activate inner peace and then we can say to ourselves, this thing that I want to do won't kill me. This thing I want to do will not kill me. If that shifts the resistance even just a little, then we know that it's a sort of false resistance based on something going on with the fight or flight response rather than inner guidance saying this isn't the right time. If the resistance is still strong, it's worth considering that it is inner guidance. So being able to, knowing how these brain systems work can actually help us in that discernment of is this just my brain having a, a panic attack and thinking that there's something dangerous in this thing that I'm resisting or is it inner guidance genuinely saying not the right time, not the right thing? Um, because that system in your brain that says this is dangerous, if it's telling you not to walk it down a dark alley, it's doing its job and it's probably not a bad thing to listen to. If it's telling you not to launch that product, then chances are that it's, a, you know, that it's one of those old primitive systems at play. Uh, it might not be, but you'll get an answer if you play with that idea of will this thing kill me or not? Probably not. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, wow, I feel like I've just gabbled my way through that. I said I wanted to keep it short. Wow, that was really short. <laughs> Um, I've closed chat. Is there anything in chat that I should um, be aware of? Uh, any Kim had a question about um, is this like setting an intention but aligning the body with it when you were uh, sharing that exercise? Yeah, it's exactly what we're doing. In fact, we're sort of taking it, we're aligning the brain, which is part of the body. It's a, it's a body, you know, let's not forget that the brain is a body system. It's our sort of biological squishy meat-based um, system for deliberate creation and when we bring it on board and line it up yeah that's one of the reasons I like this exercise so much is that it's in it, in it wraps up intention setting and our heart and our brain all in one little neat package uh, and it does it consciously and that's why and like I said I think I think brain retraining is something that we automatically do every time we use any kind of manifesting tool. And I think that sometimes doing it consciously and having an understanding of what we're doing, it sort of helps our internal story about how skilled we are at this and how, um, how effective we are. You know, if we, can, if we can think of ourselves as really powerful manifestors, it's a much more stable and useful platform to think of ourselves from than to kind of go well I sort of get this but I'm not really sure how it works you know for me for me having that background understanding is really really helpful in saying wow I'm bringing all of these different systems on board I'm getting my body on board I'm getting my brain on board and I'm getting my heart on board and I'm setting my intention that we're all aligned <laughs> my energy is aligned um, and I think that's where that's where we have this potential for power. Because like I said, we're the users of our brains. We're not their victims. And if we don't really kind of get this, then is, there's the potential for our brains to play tricks on us. Um, you know, this is why I get so passionate about the, um, 
because we know that yeah, this is one thing I did want to say is that that if this if this isn't working, uh, and if there's still some emotion that keeps on coming back like anxiety or anger that's when this idea that the brain can become chemically addicted to an emotion comes into play and I have got a call in the archives called unhooked which which talks about that uh, which I did before I had really played with this a lot with clients so it's not a bad starting point and I also want to just mention to people that um, I'm doing it I'm rolling out my vibration rehab which is a, a you know brain detoxing emotion detoxing program um, and somewhere in the um, anything goes, I think, or it might be in the resources. I can't even remember where I put it. There's a, a, a thing for um, GVU members getting a discount when they sign up to the program, which mm-hmm. starts on the eighth April. But um, yeah, so so yes, it does get the body on side because it because it involves the breathing, and yeah, that's my long-winded answer to the question, which is yes. <laughs> Right on. I know someone in the forum had asked uh, how often you run vibration rehab. I don't know if you you probably haven't seen that question uh, yet. I have. Yeah, I haven't checked my emails this morning, and I haven't really been online yet. So, um, uh, I I have I didn't run it at all last year, and uh, in 2013 I ran it twice. So I don't have a regular pattern yet. Um, I do offer it privately as well. Um, <clears throat> Uh, which is sort of it's more intensive and you know obviously a, a different kind of energy around it. Uh, probably I'm going to say I probably won't offer it more than twice a year. I suspect um, it just depends. Yeah, you know, because it's because it's so cutting edge. Um, it's uh, you know it, it it it's one of those things where it's actually hard for me to explain. You know it's one of those things where uh, I don't know if you saw my blog post the other day, Jeanette, but um, uh, I've been using it since I first developed it back in 2012. And um, <laughs> Ooh, I did, your four-hour post. I don't remember the time, uh, but it was really cool. Though. I, I couldn't believe it myself. Uh, because I've been using it so often myself, to do, you know, when I get an, an emotion that I feel like I'm hooked into, I can t- quickly give you the background. Uh, I, <clears throat> it, was a, it was a thing to do with being left out <clears throat> and specifically feeling like, the person who loves me ought to love me and I feel like they don't and suddenly it really felt like thrown out of the tribe, uh, rejected and I might as well die because that's what's going to happen. You know, I, I can remember as a kid having that thing of, uh, um, you know, feeling so, when my parents were angry with me and we've had a fight, feeling like, you know, I'm going to run away from home and then I'll get killed and then they'll be sorry. It was that. I had a fight with my husband, and I'm not kidding. That was the emotion that was there, and it happened. It, it's you know the the following day, I offered my niece a gift for her birthday, and she didn't want it, and it was like, oh my god, my whole family doesn't understand me. And I suddenly thought, oh wait a minute, this is really old stuff, really old and unhelpful. And the reason I knew it was a situation to you is that it was an addiction. It was because. It didn't matter what was happening. I just kept, you know, I'd be walking around the grocery store and suddenly I'd feel the tears beginning. And it was like, this is completely irrational and not helpful. <laughs> and I don't want this. So I started using, um, uh, I started using vibration rehab and four hours later it was gone and I could poke at it as much as I wanted. Uh, and it, it, you know, I know that in the past when I've poked at it, I've been able to bring tears. And now, I don't even remember what that feels like. So I know that That's this particular cool. technique works not just for things that are... Because I, normally I roll it out for things with with my clients. 
I roll it out to people who've got a thing that stops them moving forward, like writer's block or imposter syndrome or one of those kinds of, you know, there's one area of life where it's a, it feels like a block that stops them moving forward and they've had it for ages and nothing else has worked. So for me, it was really interesting to use it for something that doesn't, it's not, it's not coming up every day, but when it came up, it was there for 48 hours and it wasn't showing any signs of going away. It's like, right, there's an opportunity to heal this and I'm going to use this tool because I know how powerful it is. And it was extraordinarily fast. Extraordinary. Yay for that. I know, right? I don't think until I learned how to use it myself that I would have, uh, that it would have been so powerful. And and what I love about it is it's based, it's based around sensory pleasure and it's like, you know, this is a technique that feels good. <laughs> and I like well, those. It, it totally sounds too like someone who uh, has a URL of Sweet Relief Coach would, would offer, <laughs> would create an offer. Well, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yes, I, I'm slightly sidetracked by my own recent story and success. But um, So does anybody have questions? I'm just going to um, see if there's any questions in chat. Oh, I, no, I'm, I've got there's too much there. Um, yes, so uh, Nancy. Oh, yes, Nancy's saying that emotion was a gift for an emotional do-over. Absolutely, absolutely. No, it came up for a reason, t totally. And it was just that the choice of tool that I made was I'm going to use this one because... Uh, I, I, I couldn't get to anything else. I couldn't get to any other out of the tools that I that I w might normally use. It was just uh, it, I was in too much pain. So it was like, let's try this one that I know works for the blockages, and it worked for this as well. So it was pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I think my my comment was that you know a lot of times people will feel an emotion like that that's so deep and it goes back so yeah. far, and the first instinct is just to resist it. And, and oh, go, turn on, go turn on the TV or go eat some ice cream or go do something that numbs that feeling and never really looking at it. And yet, if you face it and work with it, it's an amazing healing doorway and oh, very powerful. I'm, and yeah. yeah, I'm so glad you raised that, Nancy, because I, that is actually how I, what I started out with. Uh, I, I began with that process and that was why it, when it didn't work, when the sort of, you know, because I'm the, I'm the one who will sort of say, I'll, I'll be the one who says, feel your feelings, own the feelings and then. And normally when a, when a strong emotion comes up um, of some kind, and ha my husband and I have fight maybe once a year if we're lucky. It, it's very rare. So they, that kind of fight. So they are really distressing for me. Um, and... Normally, I can go through the emotion because I choose not to resist it. So I go, I go and feel it. And in my experience, when we really do go and embrace the feelings and truly feel them and go to the heart of them in the way that you know someone like Tom Stone uh, advocates, where we go to the, the eye of the hurricane and we get to that to completely experience it, we go through it. Um, and that wasn't happening with this one. It would it would happen and then it would come back and then it would and I would go through it again and it would come back. That's what made me clued me into the possibility that there was an addiction going on at a really deep level that didn't normally show up in my daily life, but it was there nonetheless. Once it had, it's a bit like it's the alcoholic who hasn't had a drink for thirty years has a has a you know a finger of scotch and the next thing he's drunk the whole bottle. That's what it felt like. It was that kind of addiction. 
So, but so thank you for raising that because I agree with you. Normally, that would be that my go-to place would be the you know feel the feelings and um, and and I sort of say to people if the only reason to look at something like fibre rehab is if you've done that and it keeps coming back and you keep doing it and it keeps coming back, it's like okay, there's something else going on here. So, yeah. That's a, I'm so glad you raised that, Nancy, because I hadn't made that clear that that was part of the experience. And you're absolutely right. 99 times out of 100, uh, when we have that sense of strong emotion and we, and we resist it, it's because we, we have that fear of it. You know, it's triggered the old fight or flight thing about going, this doesn't feel safe. Whereas if we go in and we work with it in a very nurturing and connecting way of going, you know, soothing and experiencing it, honouring it, because emotions are sacred. You know, we don't want to be resisting our emotions. We want to honour them in order to move through them and then we can let go, then we can sort of relax and, um, uh, and, and say yes to whatever's happening. So thank you. I'm so glad you asked that question or, you know, made, made, that, made that point. In chat, um, Kim is asking, so what about find a better feeling thought or do something that feels good? How do we know... We need to work with what comes up or pivot away. I think you just answered it by saying that that you'd use yeah. processes on it, but it would keep coming back. Yeah, that's basically it. If, if uh, There's two ways to tell. One is to do the processes that have normally worked for you on other things, and if it sort of comes back again and suddenly you're driving down the road. I mean, I, I look, the only time I've experienced this and not used a process to, to, to get rid of it or to, 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 to heal it, not so much get rid of but to heal it, was when I was um, grieving for my dad's death because I knew that that process was going to work like that, that, that you know, there was the first, the first time that I, had, that I was genuinely on my own in the house alone was a week after my dad's funeral when we got back, to, back home and my husband went off to work and I sat on the couch and I allowed myself to howl and... I needed to do that in order to move through it and it was very fast and um, and I felt so much better afterwards uh, and maybe a week later all of a sudden out of the blue the tears came again and I know that that's part of the grieving process so I was okay with that and you know non-resistance is really good when you're dealing with something like that kind of a significant um, process uh, because there are moments where you know, it's that sense of, because I think one of the things that we grieve, when, when we're grieving the loss of a loved one, it's part part of what we're grieving is we no longer have their physical perspective of us. So my dad's version of me no longer exists on the planet. There's a different, he, he, there's a different my dad's version of me because it's now his pure positive energy version of me. But the version of me that was, you know, the, the version he brought to it with his physical human life doesn't exist anymore except in my memory. Um, I can revisit it and and so on. But but there was there was there was a grieving process to go through. When we're dealing with something else, something that's not as uh, you know, with this this experience of mine where I was going, you know, I offered my niece a reading and it's not her thing and she didn't want it. And the fact that I had so much. I was so upset by that, even though I'd said to her, I know this might not be your thing and I would be totally cool with that. I swear, I, was, I believed I would be, but it was this opportunity, like you said, to heal this thing of not, of not, belonging, to my fam not belonging with my family. My family mostly don't get me. And I hadn't really got as okay with that as I thought I had. So when it kept 
kept on coming, circling back around again, that was my clue to say, no, there's something else to work. There's something here that is, like I said, it's like the alcoholic who hasn't had a drink for 15 years and downing a bottle of scotch. That's what it felt like. So yeah, when the, um, so that's one of the signs is when it keeps coming up. The other sign is when it feels like the emotion comes up before the story. Like, so, and that was what I was, what was happening. I'd be driving along. Um, this is before I'd done the process to heal it. I'd be driving along and suddenly the tears would start and I'd be like, what? It was so mysterious to me. This, the, it, the tears would begin and then a split second later, I would have the thought, my family doesn't love me, which I know isn't true. It's just they don't get me. There's a big difference. But it was so odd. Uh, and that's one of the, that's the other clue that, that, that there's an addiction is that the emotion kicks in and then we have this, and then we wonder what the story is. Yeah. What's, what's really fascinating about that is that the research that the Institute of Heart Math has done on the heart shows that we actually get information coming into our body first through our heart, and then the heart then sends the information to whatever part of the body needs that information. So the brain didn't, the reason you were, you were crying is you were feeling that emotion, but the brain didn't get the message or hadn't yet received the message of what was behind um, behind the tears. And for some people, I mean, in some ways, you were very lucky that you had that thought to clue you in because sometimes we'll, we'll have that emotion and there, we're, we're not aware of the thought. The thought's there, but we're not really aware of it as much as we could be because we're, we're so caught up in crying and the emotion and so forth. So, um, yeah, I think those are all excellent examples of how something can be at work um, unconsciously for us and um, it's really a gift if we take the time to figure out the emotion, the underlying emotion and work yeah. with it. Sorry? Uh, I was just going to say I had a recent experience with grieving myself. With my, my mom passed away on March 1st and I have a very different viewpoint on life and death than the average person. I really do see death as an illusion and know that I was even going to be closer to her in death than when she was alive. So, but I still found myself occasionally um, out of nowhere just being bowled over yeah. by the emotion of um, sadness and, um, and grieving. And initially I told myself, you know, this is cool, this is grieving, it's normal, it's healthy. I, I give myself permission to do it. But then I started actually consciously thinking to myself while I was grieving, why am I crying? I can feel her right here with me in this room right now. Why am I crying? And as I, you know, really felt the feeling and allowed myself to feel it and then recognize where I've felt that feeling before. It took me back to my childhood. When I went back into my childhood and explored that, the grief literally lifted and, and evaporated because I was willing to be there with the grieving and the emotion and see what it was there to show me. So, yeah, I think it's really interesting. I mean, one of the, uh, you know, when I talked about emotion myth-busting ages ago, um, sadness exists in order to, the function of sadness is to help us release that which no longer serves us. The function of grief, which is, is different from sadness, but it, it can incorporate sadness. The function of grief is to help us focus in that moment on 
it, it, it narrows our priorities because in that moment, you know, during the process of a loved one dying and the immediate, you know, not aftermath, but the, the immediate period afterwards, everything else drops away. Suddenly, all the things that we thought were so unfo- uh, so important, you know, like when my dad was dying, I, I flew up to Brisbane straight away and um, on a Friday night and uh, it didn't even occur to me to ring my boss. I was in a full-time job at the time. It didn't even occur to me to ring my uh, to ring my boss until Monday morning, uh, and you know it's like the and this is you know this is a girl who uh, her work is like you know my work is my identity. So for me to sort of go stuff it, I don't give a shit. You know I'm just going up to Brisbane to be with my dad and then spend the weekend not even thinking about work and not. It wasn't until Monday morning someone said, "Have you run your office yet?" And I'm like, "Oh shit, no, I haven't." One of the functions of grief is to get us to radically shift our priorities so that we just focus in on the experience that's happening at the time and give it the proper honour that it deserves. We're all commenting in chat on how interesting that is and uh, the function of sadness too. We all thought that was really interesting. Yeah, cool, cool. Okay, well, it's the top of the hour and I'm conscious that, you know, I, you know, I was going to make this a half-hour call, and we went a bit longer. But I hope it's been a really useful conversation. And I think when it, when we sort of circle back around to this idea of saying yes to everything in life, I think that what Nancy and I have been talking about here, when we've you know both sort of talking about our own experiences of uh, an event that the mainstream world sees the loss of a loved one, and I use the word loss. You know, I, I know it's not a loss, and in fact. Something you said, Nancy, made sense to me. I actually had the thought, well, before my dad died, I actually said to him, I think I'm going to be able to talk to you more often now, you know, because I won't have to ring you up. You'll just be there at the end of the, my thoughts. And he sort of grinned and said, yeah, that sounds true. <laughs> um, so, you know, but in, in mainstream life, there are certain events and things that we are told that we ought to resist. And having this opportunity to explore the story and where necessary, use uh, a technique that gives us really, really practice it in a piece and understand how our brain systems are working behind the scenes when we need to. When it gets really, really complicated and really, really hard, knowing about these systems is really helpful as well. So hopefully that has been really, hopefully that's been useful. And, um, and anybody who wants to use that inner piece practice to retrain their brains, <laughs> let me know how you go because some. Um, I certainly, it's been, I mean, I think one of the reasons that that healing opportunity came up for me is because I've been pushing the envelope a little bit on, you know, where can I find inner peace and can I feel good about this? So any final comments, questions, thoughts, anything anyone else wants to raise or discuss? I don't think so. Thank you, Janet. We're glad you you were able to dial in. (laughs) Oh, me too. I'm so sorry again, but um, it, was it worked fun. out. <laughs> it worked out. It always works out. <laughs> um, yes. No. As I was as I was sitting here waiting for the tech to to work, I was I was focusing a lot of dynamic inner peace. <laughs> so at least I may not have sounded peaceful as I was talking, but at least I wasn't freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It was your chance to. Now you have another story you can blog about and you can share when you're teaching and talking to others so exactly thank you so much i'm going to end the recording now thanks everyone bye-bye bye